0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am going to cover in this audio, Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. Our context is this. In the first ten verses of the book, Paul has introduced himself to the Galatians, and he was defending himself in his ministry. And he immediately said, there are people over there in the Galatian churches who are preaching a gospel That is different, a different gospel, a quote-unquote different gospel, and they're deserting the faith. And Paul was astonished by that, and he's trying to say, hey, let those people be accursed who are doing that. So that introduces the theme of Galatians, which is to Gehenna with legalism. We now start with verse 11, Galatians 1. And I guess I should give a preview of what this section of the last part of chapter 1 is about. It's about Paul's calling as an apostle, and mainly his calling as an apostle apart from the Jerusalem apostles because he wants to distinguish himself from the Jerusalem apostles to show that his gospel has not been tainted by any sort of legalism because Jerusalem, of course, is associated with the law. So we start now in chapter 1, verse 11. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached by me is not based on human thought. Now, Paul calls it the gospel. Elsewhere, he calls it my gospel, Romans 2, 16, on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ, Romans 16, 25. Now, to him who has power to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for a long time. So, Paul has got a set of doctrines, which he, as we'll see in just a minute, which he has received through Revelation through Jesus Christ personally, and those are his gospel, and he's not going to let anybody change that. And I think that we also have no right to change, to deviate from Paul's gospel, because it is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ, and the devil himself would love to do damage to that gospel by changing it in its fundamentals. And Paul, and that's why Paul gets so wrought up. In the book of Galatians, as he starts attacking the people who are trying to wreck his gospel. Galatians 1.12, For I did not receive it from a human source. He says in verse 11, it's not based on human thought. And in verse 12, he says, For I I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it. But it came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, Paul here begins his explanation of how he received the gospel through revelation and not through teaching. Remember, Paul was a rabbinic scholar. He had been taught a lot of stuff. Of course, most of it was garbage most of it was legalistic nonsense that vi- that contradicted the Old Testament Mosaic law or at least obfuscated it and of course in the latest Jewish teaching was that Jesus was a false messiah a fake so obviously Paul's saying I'm not going to emphasize what I've been taught I'm not going to emphasize what I've been, what I've received from human sources I'm going to emphasize a revelation from Jesus Christ now he mentions revelation a lot in the in his epistles of Ephesians three verses two through five he says this you have heard haven't you about the ministration of God's grace that he gave to me for you the mystery was made known to me by revelation by reading this you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah how did Paul have insight insight about the mystery the re, the formerly hidden but now revealed truth of the, of the Messiah he got it by revelation. This was not made known to people in other generations, edited as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by their spirit. And of course, I'm sure Paul is including himself in the holy apostles and prophets. It's been revealed. 1 Corinthians 11 23, he says to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed by the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. He received that. Sounds like revelation there. He received it from the Lord. First Corinthians 15, 3, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, actually, he could have received that through teaching from other apostles, I guess. So that's, that's not directly saying revelation. It could be, though. But now here in First Thessalonians four fifteen, he says, For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. Now when it comes to the resurrection of the dead, I don't know of any other teaching that, where Paul could have gotten all that stuff in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of the body. Unless it was, it was by direct revelation from Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12, 1, boasting is necessary, it is not profitable, but I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. and He talks about being taken up into the third heaven and so forth. So now when Paul is talking about his gospel was received from a revelation from Jesus Christ, the question is, which revelation is Paul talking about? He had several. Could it just be by an inward spiritual revelation to Paul? Not by a vision, but by inward moving of the Spirit? Galatians one fifteen sixteen, 16, Paul says this, But when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, I don't believe that's correct because I think he's talking about his his revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus was was revealed in him. I don't think it was inward, inward revelation to Paul, but that is an option as to when he took this, got this revelation. It could have been he received his gospel when Paul, when he was caught up into the third heaven. That's in 2 Corinthians 12 too. Of course, nobody knows when that happened. Could be on the Paul on the road to Damascus, Damascus at his conversion, and the reason I think this is the correct option is that's when he's what he's talking about here in verse twelve of Galatians one is because he says. In verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 1, he says this, But when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, when was that revelation? He says, When that happened, I did not immediately consult with anyone. That sounds like he was in Damascus right after his conversion on the road to Damascus. So I'm going to assume that when Paul says here in Galatians 1, verse 12, that his gospel came by a revelation from Jesus Christ. He's talking about his conversion on the road to Damascus. Now, there's other possibilities. It could have been the three years when he was in Arabia and in Damascus before he went up to Jerusalem. As we read later on in this section, verses 17 and 18, Galatians 1, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles about me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. After three years, I did go up to Jerusalem. Some people say, well, maybe he could have gotten the revelation then. Well, I don't think so. I think it was on the road to Damascus. Now, it's edgingly interesting that Paul says, I didn't receive this revelation from any human source. But when he finally did get down to Jerusalem, his gospel matched exactly what the apostles in Jerusalem were teaching, which shows its divine source. He got down there saw that the apostles were teaching the same thing he was doing. So that shows that his revelation came from a divine source, whereas the human sources of Paul's education, the rabbis, they actually taught him things opposed to the gospel, as John Gill points out. But when he got down to Jerusalem, he finds out the apostles are teaching things in accordance with Paul's gospel. We go to Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Now that term Judaism refers to the Jewish faith and way of life developed in the intertestamentary period, according to the NIV Study Bible. The term is derived from Judah, the name of the southern kingdom. Paul says in verse 13 that he persecuted God's church to an extreme degree and tried to destroy it, just like Xi Jinping is trying to do to the church in China. Paul failed. Xi Jinping will fail. The church will never be persecuted out of existence. Paul says that he was zealous. He was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. The traditions of the ancestors, of course, is that oral tradition that was allegedly passed down from Moses all the way through the rabbis until it got to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were trying to hold on to these so-called traditions as if they were a revelation from God and they created all kinds of legalistic horse manure that completely obscured the purpose of the Mosaic law and the holiness of the Mosaic law. And Paul is saying, he was admitting, hey, I was very, I, I, I wanted all that stuff. But I guess the reason he's saying this is look at the change in me. I used to preach all this legalism and now I don't anymore. That ought to mean something. You Judaizers who are trying to think that the law is so great for Christianity and you got to believe in the law in order to get saved. Look at me. I used to believe all that plus some. But I don't anymore. And I received a revelation from Jesus Christ, which tells me that what I'm preaching is a lot more likely to be true than what you're preaching. Because I was advanced in Judaism. You guys are just pikers compared to me. And yet I've managed to overthrow it. I managed to see that you don't get saved by the law. Paul's zealousness in extreme zealousness for the traditions of his ancestors is commented upon by himself in Philippians three, four through six. Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Of course, the Benjamites were considered a, to be sort of a one of the better tribes of Israel, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Some people think that means he has Jewish parents. I'm not sure. But the point is he was Jew, a Jew of the Jews. And he was a Pharisee, of course. And those, those Pharisees were the most, they, they were the strictest party when it came to obeying the traditions of the elders. And he was advanced Advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries. That means not only was he a rabbi, he was a big-shot rabbi. He was a Ph.D. rabbi teaching all this legalistic, traditional horse excrement, horse patuki. Galatians one 15 through 15-16, But when God, who from my birth set me apart and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I could preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, Again, I've already talked about this revelation. When did it come to Paul? I had a a Bible teacher who was good friends with another good friend of mine, and I saw him a lot. and He was convinced that the revelation of Jesus was in Paul internally in his spirit. He was this preacher, this teacher was very big on Christ in you, the hope of glory, which I am too. And so I listened to him a lot. I thought he was really good, and I think that unfortunately Western Christianity has completely lost the interior illumination aspects of Christianity because we're so scared of mysticism. And that very well could be. But I don't think that's what it means here because of the context here. God was pleased to reveal his son in Paul. And after that, I did not immediately consult with anyone. That sounds to me like that was just right after he got converted on the road to Damascus. And that was not an internal revelation of the Spirit. That was an external vision of Jesus. Now, Paul says... Again, trying to buttress his apostolic authority. He says, God from my birth set me apart and called me by his grace. From his birth? Let's look at some cases in the Old Testament and the New Testament in which people are called from their birth. Here's Isaiah 49.1, Coastlands. Listen to me, distant peoples, pay attention. The Lord called me, this is Isaiah, the Lord called me before I was born. He named me while I was in my mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5, I chose you, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 22.9, you took me from the womb, making me secure while at my mother's breast. I assume that's David there. Psalm 71.6, I have leaned on you from birth. You took me from my mother's womb. Isaiah 49.5, and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. Luke 1:15, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. That's referring to John the Baptist. So here we have John the Baptist. We've got David. We've got Jeremiah. we got Isaiah. And now Paul, all called from their mother's womb. Now I've got an interesting question for all you Armenians out there. How in the world do you accept Christ in your mother's womb? How can you be an Armenian and read these verses? Paul called you before you are able to make a choice, before you're able to make a decision for Christ. How do you square that with your Arminianism? I'm sure it can be done with a great deal of contortion and effort, but I don't see how it can be done. Paul says he was set apart in his mother's womb, as he tells the Romans in Romans 1.1. Paul, the slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news. God had a purpose to call Paul, as he has a purpose for all of us, actually. Paul, uh, John Gill says that this setting apart of Paul refers to divine predestination. The setting apart was done before Paul exercised his free will to believe. As Jameson Fawcett Brown says, thus merit in Paul was out of the question. Actually, Paul didn't have a lot of merit. He went around killing Christians. That was his works, uh, his works qualification for his Christianity. He killed Christians. It's all by grace, not by works. In the case of Paul, too. Now, notice that Paul here says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Again, his whole purpose here is to show that he is separate from these Jerusalem apostles. He did not receive the gospel from these guys. He received it from revelation alone, and that revelation was Jesus alone, no law. The Jerusalem apostles might be tainted with works righteousness, but by golly, Paul wasn't. Notice in verse 15 that Paul says, God called me by his grace. Let's read the golden chain, Romans 8:30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. There cannot be a break in the golden chain. You cannot lose your salvation because, by golly, if you predestined to be glorified and you're called from your mother's womb, I don't know how your free will is going to get in the way of that. But he was called out of Jewish darkness into the glorious liberty of Christ. And, of course, this was on the road to Damascus is when this happened. Now let's go back to this verse. I've already this phrase I've already mentioned in verse sixteen, that God was pleased to reveal His Son in me. In in me, I already mentioned I had a Bible teacher acquaintance who emphasized the internal mystical. Ah, mystical is a bad word. The internal illumination that was done by the Holy Spirit in one spirit, because Christ is in you. Well, let's look at some other options as to what that could mean. He revealed Christ in me. The preposition could be by me. And one thing that makes this problematical is prepositions are hard to translate. That's just all there is to it. So some people say, as John Gill says, it could be by me. John Gill says this, some versions read it by me. God was pleased to reveal Christ by me, making the apostles to, apostle to be the instrument and means by whom God revealed his son Jesus Christ to others. That's perfectly reasonable. I don't think that's what Paul means, but it's reasonable. Here's a scripture that kind of backs that up. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, God's illuminated our hearts and then we go out and shine it on other people. Give the shining face of Jesus, which reflects God's glory. And then other people see it, then they get saved. So we're the instrument of their salvation. Well, I don't know. But here, John Gill, Adam Clark, and Jameson Foster and Brown say, you no. Know, on the uh, in their opinion, it should be translated not by me. God has not been pleased to reveal Christ by me, but God has been pleased to reveal Christ to me. Here's John Gill's quote. Others read it to me. So others read it to me, in which also is true, for Christ was revealed to him in the glory of his person, the fullness of his grace, the necessity, suitableness, and completeness of his salvation, not objectively in the gospel or merely notionally, speculatively in the theory of things, but spiritually, experimentally, and savingly. Okay, so it was revealed to Paul. So here are your options could be revealed in Paul through an internal mystical experience, a illuminatory, an illumination of the Holy Spirit. That's option number one. Option number two could be revealed by him. the gospel, God was pleased to reveal the gospel by Paul. So Paul's the agent of spreading salvation to other people. Or three, God was pleased to reveal Jesus to Paul through the objective revelation on the road to Damascus. And I think what determines it for me is the context he says, I did not immediately go up to anybody else after I got that revelation in me or to me. And that sounds like that happened right after the revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus. So that's the way, way I'm going to take that. But I do mention that because, just to show you, there's been a lot of theological discussion about that revelation, how, how Paul received that revelation. I'm going to take it that the God was pleased to reveal Christ to Paul. And Paul said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. But notice how very soon he was preaching in Damascus. So he was a quick start. That revelation prepared him for the gospel quicker than the average Christian. He was out there ready to do ministry. Galatians 1.17, I did not go up to Jerusalem, Paul continues. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who have become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Now, again, Paul is trying to show that, hey, I'm not dependent on my gospel from these Jerusalem people. All you Judaizers that I'm getting ready to attack, I'm not dependent upon their gospel. I'm not going to rely on them. If you want to use them to support your Judaism, you go right ahead. But I, that's not where I got my gospel from. I got my gospel by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And and to show that he was separate from those apostles in Jerusalem, he said, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Now, let me summarize a lot of controversy here. Well, first of all, let me say where Arabia is. That was the first thing that used to confuse me. I always think of Arabia down in Saudi Arabia. Well, actually, this is Arabia, Arabia... They had three different Arabias, and I can't remember which Arabia this is, but the Arabia that, that's being referred to here is the one that came, comes all the way from the tip of the Red Sea, the Gulf of the Suez Canal and the Gulf of Aqaba, southern Jordan, southern Israel, the tip of Israel that goes down there to Eilat, all the way up. Let's say you go all the Arabian Desert. You go all the way up on the east side of the Jordan River, go up through the present-day country of Jordan, then you get east, of, then you get to the Dead Sea, then you get to east of uh Israel, you're still in Jordan, and you go past Israel, and you go up just a little bit past Israel, past the Golan Heights, and by golly, you're in Syria, and you're in Damascus. So Arabia went all the way up to Damascus, so when it says he went to Arabia, it doesn't mean he went all the way down to Saudi Arabia. That's what I used to think. He just went outside of the city a little ways into the desert so he could be alone. Now, so that's the first question. Now, when Paul says, I did not go up to Jerusalem, but he went to the Arabian desert, he mentions the going up to Jerusalem because he did go up to Jerusalem later on, three years later, after his con- probably after his conversion. We'll talk about the time frame in just a minute. So right now would be a good time to summarize Paul's four trips to Jerusalem. I think this is helpful to keep things in your mind. The first trip to Jerusalem is the one he's talking about. We're going to talk about in a little bit. Suggested date for that is 37 AD. That's when he went to Jerusalem. He introduced himself to Peter and James by means of Barnabas. He was not trusted in Jerusalem because he had been persecuting the church there at that early date. And Paul preached some with Peter and James. Stayed there about 15 days, and they had to get him out of town because of persecution. That was the first trip. Let me read the account of that. Paul's getting ready to tell us about that in verses 18 through 24 in the next six, seven verses of our audio here. But let's also read in Acts 9:26 26-30, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Remember, this is his first trip to Jerusalem. They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. All right, so that's the first journey: a little bit of preaching, a little bit of visiting with the apostles. Then he heads out of town back to his hometown of Tarsus, probably by, probably by ship. That's the first trip to Jerusalem, around 37 A.D. The second trip to Jerusalem. Now let me say this too: of the four trips, trip number two, three, and four are not controversial. Everybody agrees. The dates are a little bit fuzzy, like they always are, but the first trip, some people, some people, not many, I think it was John Gill that had a complaint about the, the timing of it, but uh, basically, as actually, let's just say all four of these trips are pretty well set, and I don't think there's too much controversy about all four of them if you really get right down to it. We go to the second trip, suggested date here is 46 AD, which is almost 10 years later, 9 or 10 years later. The activity on this second trip was Paul bringing from Antioch, the first Jerusalem poor relief, the collection that... He had helped take up at Antioch because of the famine in the time of Claudius. We read about that in Acts eleven twenty nine 29-30. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Paul goes back to Jerusalem on, the, on his second trip to Jerusalem. His third trip to Jerusalem is after the first missionary journey. He goes down to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Council. This is 50 AD suggested date. Now of course that council was very famous. It was discussed the problem of the law and Gentile believers. We read about that in Acts 15:1 through 29. And then the fourth trip, suggested date for that is 57 A.D. That was when Paul was bringing the four prophets' collection to Jerusalem. He collected money in Galatia, Macedonia, Greece, and Rome. Big collection. Talked about a lot in 2 Corinthians. And he takes off from Corinth at the end of the third journey and ends up back in Rome. Back in Jerusalem, I'm sorry. And he got arrested. So that's the fourth trip. That's in Acts 21.15 through Acts 23.30. So right now we're talking about the first trip. He said, I did not go up to Jerusalem yet. But I did not go up to Jerusalem. I'm sorry. But he's talking about eventually he's going to go to Jerusalem on the first trip. Instead, he went to Arabia and he went to Damascus. This trip to Arabia is completely omitted by Luke and Acts. So this is the only way we know of this trip. And many people make the point that Paul needed to spiritually prepare himself for his ministry. That three years of ministry... I mean, he had the disciples in Damascus, I'm sure he interacted with, like Ananias, the man who prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit and get his his eyesight back. But he didn't have any apostolic teaching. But he had to be prepared, so it was three years. Now, I, I will say this, that it's often thought that Paul spent three years in the desert. It never says that. It's in Damascus and in the desert three years. What part of that was in Damascus and what part of that was in the desert? We don't know. So let's just. I always just say Damascus and the desert for three years. He was being prepared for ministry. We go to Galatians one eighteen. That after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. So Paul's saying, Yeah, okay, I waited three years and finally I did go on up there. I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. This is his first trip to Jerusalem. Cephas, of course, is the Aramaic name for Peter, and I stayed with him, with Peter, for 15 days. So Paul is now conceding that, well, yeah, I did finally meet these Jerusalem apostles, but it was only for 15 days, and it was after three years, so I didn't have a lot of time to get influenced by them. And, of course, the whole purpose of that is to show that his gospel is revealed by Jesus and there's no legalism in his gospel. Now this three years... After three years, one of the options that the three years could refer to is after he left Arabia and returned to Damascus. After three years, I was in the desert for a while. Then I came back from the desert, got to Damascus. And after I was at Damascus, I waited three more years and went back to Jerusalem. John Gill denies that. The NIV Study Bible suggests that. It could be, as Gill, Clark, and Jameson Fawcett, and Brown all point out, it could be the three years after his departure from Jerusalem and his conversion. That he went back. Remember, he departed from Jerusalem to persecute the saints in Damascus. It could be after three years he left up, got saved, went to the desert, went back to Damascus, and came back to Jerusalem. So the the three years could be three years after he left the Arabian desert. In other words, he was in the Arabian desert for three years and he went back to Jerusalem. Or it could be with the three years he left Jerusalem. But my point is here is that the three years is not exact. So we need to be careful about saying Paul was in the desert for three years. And he was not necessarily in the desert for three years. He was roughly in Damascus and Arabia, in Damascus and the desert, for about three years. We can say that. Again, just to show that God had to prepare him, and he was separate from the early apostles. He did not get his gospel from the other apostles. Now, why did Paul finally, after those three years, whenever it was, why did he decide to go to Jerusalem? John Gill says he was obliged to flee Damascus for his safety. Remember, Aretas had a governor, Aretas the Nabataean king, who temporarily had control of Damascus from the Romans had a governor there, and that governor tried to run Paul out of town, had trapped him in the city, probably, maybe because the Jews in the city were trying to get him, and there was civil unrest, I don't know, or maybe because a says governor was a pagan, didn't like what Paul was preaching, but at any rate, tried to keep him in the city, and Paul had to be let down out of a basket out of the windows of one of the, out of the window of one of the disciples' house, the house being built into the wall of the city, and Paul got out of town. So that's probably why he left after three years. Some people suggest he wanted to just go see Peter, see what's going on down there in Jerusalem. Well, maybe so. I don't think so. I think he was run out of town. The 15 days that he spent with Peter, now that doesn't mean that all of the time was spent in conversation with Peter. As we just read in Acts 9, verses 26 through 30, Paul spent a lot of time coming in and going out of Jerusalem, preaching the gospel. He's preaching Christ. So Paul has used two numbers here to contrast things. Three years apart from Peter, and 15 days with Peter. So his point is, hey, I didn't get this gospel from Peter. My gospel was a law-free gospel that I got by Revelation. Now, why was it only 15 days? Remember, the plots of the Hellenistic Jews kept him from staying, staying longer. Acts 9.29, he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. And then in Acts 22.17-18, through 18, this is when Paul was speaking to the Jerusalem mob after his third journey, he recalled when he was first in Jerusalem. He was there for his fourth time. He, re- he recalled back the time he was in Jerusalem. The first time he says, After I came back to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple complex I, uh, complex, I went into a visionary state and I saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And so Paul got out of Dodge. The disciples sent him up to Tarsus, By ship, and then from Tarsus, Barnabas got him and carried him to Antioch, and Paul spent more years developing his ministry in a local church there in Antioch. Galatians 1.19, but I didn't see any of the other apostles. Now, Paul's we're back in Jerusalem now on the first visit to Jerusalem after Damascus. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Again, he's trying to show his independence. He says, I didn't see all those other apostles. Just saw one, James. Now, here the NIV Study Bible says James seems to be the leader of the elders at Jerusalem. Seems to be acts twenty one eighteen we read this the following day Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. This is after the third journey. Paul went to see James. It does sound like he's one of the leading elders. but this verse does not say that James was the leader of the elders. Galatians one nineteen doesn't say that either does acts twenty one eighteen It just you you have to imply that you have to infer that from the verse. It's a reasonable inference, I think notice' kind of interesting here James the lord's brother that Paul has to identify. James, the Lord's brother. Because remember now, James, the son of Zebedee, is still alive at this time. And so now there were two eminent apostles at Jerusalem named James, as Adam Clark says. But Acts 12, 2, Herod Agrippa killed James, John's brother, with the sword. So at some point in there, James, the son of Zebedee, the son of Salome, his mother Salome and his father Zebedee, and the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, the author of the Gospel of John and Revelation, that John was killed. That James, excuse me, that James was killed by Herod Agrippa I. But James, the Lord's brother, was still alive, and he was apparently the head of the Jerusalem church. We go to Galatians 1:20 20 through 21. Now, I am not lying in what I write to you. God is my witness. Ooh, that's pretty strong words. Why does Paul have to say that he's not a liar? Well, because he had a lot of strong opposition. When he says God is my witness, he's basically taking an oath, a sacred oath before God. This is not a casual statement. It was probably reported by the Judaizers that Paul had received much instruction from the Jerusalem apostles, and the, Ju- and the Judaizers was thus saying, see there, Paul's not listening to what those Jerusalem apostles should have told him, that we have to get saved by the law. That's kind of what, where the argument's going, and Paul's saying, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm not lying. And what I write to you and what I wrote to you is that I haven't had very much contact with the Jerusalem apostles. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Making the Jerusalem apostles more prominent as teachers of Paul, as the Judaizers would like to do, would advance the cause of legalism. Because the Jerusalem apostles was not as were not as strong as Paul was on the issue of freedom from the law. I mean after all, Peter once refused to eat with the Gentiles in any. I remember Paul had to oppose him to his face. And so Paul is continuing to say, look, I didn't I, I'm not influenced by these Jerusalem apostles. My gospel is law free directly from Jesus by revelation. We finish up now with Galatians 1, through 24. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. Once again, he's trying to separate himself from the Jewish churches to show that he is absolutely separate from Judaism, despite the fact that he was raised in Judaism and legalism and Phariseeism and the oral tradition of the elders. Paul says in verse 22, I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches in Christ. They simply kept hearing he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, why, did he become, why was he unknown to the Judean churches? That, of course, means the Judean churches outside of Jerusalem. They knew him in Jerusalem because he had come with Barnabas there and he met James and Peter. But outside of the Jerusalem church, nobody knew who he was. Probably because Paul had left Jerusalem by boat, and went up to Tarsus and skipped all those churches. As John Gill points out, Paul mentions this to keep people from saying he had received the gospel from Judean churches. He wants to be, again, he's trying to show, my gospel came by revelation, not by any apostle who is steeped in Judaism. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now finished with Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. In our next audio, in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, we're going to look at Paul's another trip of Paul to Jerusalem. People debate whether it's for the poor relief trip, trip number two or trip number three, the Jerusalem Council. The majority view is the Jerusalem Council. And we will see Paul continue his battle against the legalistic Judaizers. I hope you stay tuned for that audio, and I hope you enjoyed this one.